We're going to remain standing now for just a while longer as we read together these words from the book of Genesis, uh, the first book of the Bible. As we read these words, um, after um, the first sin has happened, um, the, the first humans have eaten of the fruit which they were told not to eat, and now God is delivering the punishments, first to the serpent, then to the woman, and now to the man. Uh, the man's punishment is what we read together. Let us read these words with one another. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We celebrate God's majesty on the mountaintops and draw upon God's strength in tragedy. But most of our life is spent somewhere in between the extremes. Our lives are filled with ordinary time, the day-to-day and the in-between. How can we live our in-between lives filled with God's power and presence? How do we find God in our day-to-day situations? How do we meet God? In the ordinary. How do we meet God in the ordinary? We are in a new sermon series called Everyday Faith. We know that our uh, life has ups and downs, um, and sometimes those ups are really up. You know, the time when we graduate high school, maybe we've been accepted to college, maybe we our first job, our, uh, when we were married, the birth of our children. These are big moments, and in those big moments, sometimes it's a little easier to give glory to God in those moments and to find how God has been active in your life in those big glory moments and say, thank you, God, for this. We know that most of our life, bulk of our life, is not these big, glorious moments, but our life is made up of the details, of the mundane, of the everyday. And so for the next several weeks, we'll be talking about how to find God in those everyday, ordinary moments. Uh, We're using a book by Tish Harrison Warren called Liturgy of the Ordinary. We'll hear from it uh, a little bit during this sermon. And uh, as we continue to learn about where we find God, where we find God. And and this uh, morning, we talk about how we find God at our work, at what we do. And and this is important because we're there most of the time. And, And if we're there most of the time, then we need to find God there so that we can bring about what God wants done in this world. Uh, If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to pull those out there in your bulletin if somebody likes to write things down. The entire idea of finding God in the ordinary is based on uh, this simple phrase that we have the power to live out our faith, not just in worship once a week, but also in our ordinary daily moments. Uh, That what we do uh, this morning, that we come together and worship, this is good. Uh, And this is a right thing, that we have come together and given glory to God. But our hope is that our worship would not end here, but that it would actually go home, and then on Monday morning we would actually take our worship to work, that we would do this thing, that we would do this because we were made to do this. We were not made to live segmented lives, but actually to incorporate God into what we are doing in the everyday. There's a problem with this, though. We come into this kind of inherent problem, and it looks a little bit like this, that we want to keep God at church and work at work. 
right? Like we think that our lives would be much easier if we were able, you know, to like we bring the versions of ourselves wherever we go, right? Like we bring like this kind of church version of ourselves when we walk in the doors. And, and it's this person who has kind of like a lot of things figured out. You know, I don't have it all figured out, but I've got most of it figured out. And our kids are like semi-well behaved. You know, we have that talk right before we get out of the you know, car, like, hey, this is it, you know, like, and, uh, and we bring a version of ourselves to church. And we might bring a different version of ourselves to work. And that person is maybe more educated than we actually are. They know more than we actually do. Uh, they contribute more than we actually do. There's this better version of ourselves that we bring to work. And, and our hope is that those two versions never have to meet. Our hope is that we can live these kind of segmented lives and, and leave God at church and, and keep work at work. But, you know, we know there's a problem with that. If, if God doesn't bleed over into our work, our work definitely creeps over into everything else in our life. Um, that, I think this is absolutely true, that work may follow us home, but we rarely let God follow us to work, right? Um, work may follow us home, and, and work often does. We will actually give up a lot of other things for work, you know. And thanks to the uh, advance of modern technology, we can work wherever we are. You know, and we can give up family dinner, we can give up time with friends, we can give up, you know, even parts of our vacation, we can give up all of this for work, and we will let work follow us just about anywhere we go, but if God wants to meet us at work, we want to pump the brakes, you know, and say, let's not get carried away, you know, let, let, let's think about this for just a little bit. And we think, okay, well, if God has got to come to work, if, if we've got to do this, if we've got to let God interfere uh, with our work, then we'd rather it be the glamorous parts. You know, the big projects, the celebration, the big sale. I, and, and I'll give glory to God in that, but then I'll take care of the details. I'll take care of the mundane. You know, God, don't, don't get you know, yourself worried about this. I've got this. We know that there are all those kind of this parts of our job. There are all those kind of mundane detail parts of our job. Um, and we know this partly because, you know, there are entire memes based on this. You've seen these memes that say what I think about my job and what others think of it, right? Uh, maybe you're in sales and it looks a little bit like this. Um, sales, what my friends think I do, uh, just an office party all the time, apparently. What my parents think I do, two little girls selling lemonade for 10 cents. Isn't that cute? They're trying, you know. It's, uh, what marketing thinks I do, nothing, apparently. Um, and what my prospects think I do, a hungry shark, you know, constantly badgering them. What I think I do, you know, presenting orderly information, but what I actually do is just sit on the phone all day. You know, like we have glamorous parts of our job, and we say, like, if God has got to be involved, let it be the big stuff. You know, the me presenting the big project, me, you know, at the office party, the big glamorous parts, God, I'll take care of the phone calls. You know, I'll take care of the emails. I'll take care of the day-to-day, -day, God. You don't get yourself bothered by that. Or, or maybe you're a teacher. You know, maybe uh, that applies to more of what you do, and it looks a little bit like this. You know, what my friends think I do, the, you know, the Ferris Bueller teacher type, you know, kind of boring job. What my parents think I do, um, you know, just this kind of classic, typical teacher thing. What my students think I do, uh, yell all day, apparently. Um, what society thinks I do, some people think teachers don't work that hard. I disagree. I love teachers. They're awesome. Um, what I think I do, shaping young minds and, and encouraging young people. What I really do, paperwork all day, apparently, right? Like there are, there are really glorious parts of our job. And especially if you're a teacher, you know those moments when that student asks that question, when they say, I get it, you know, and you're like, yes, thank you, God. That is awesome. God is right here in this moment. And you say, God, I'll take care of the paperwork. God, I'll, I'll grade the assignments. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I, I've got it, God. You, you have glory for the big things. Let me do the mundane, the detail, the ordinary part of our lives. But that's not the way God works. 
So um, when I was in, in seminary, they taught me um, to ap- apply the sermon to as many different kinds of people as possible. We did sales, we did teacher, and, and now maybe you're more of a niche kind of person. Um, maybe, uh, just maybe, you have backyard chickens. Anybody have backyard chickens? Yes, we have people who have backyard chickens. All right, Davis, this applies to you. Okay, um, <laughs> what society thinks I do? Uh, uh, chicken coops just all over the place. What my friends think I do? Uh, dress chickens up in funny clothes. Davises, do you guys do that? They said kind of. Okay, um, what, my, what my husband thinks I am, a crazy chicken lady? What my chickens think I do? That's a raw chicken about to go into somebody's mouth. Um, what my chickens want to do, uh, eat me. And uh, what I actually do is take cute pictures with with baby chicks, right? So, like, there are glamorous parts of our job, you know, like the the baby chick part, you know, like, let us, like, do like this, the feed the chicken part, God, I'll do, right? Okay, so um, there are glamorous parts of of our everyday. There are glamorous parts. We say, God, if you've got to be a part of it, let it be this thing. Let me take care of the details. But that's not the way our life works, and that's not the way that God works. In fact, the fact that we are here as uh, Protestants um, means that we believe that God actually works a little differently. During the Reformation, the time when the church split from the Orthodox Church, there was a great reformer called Martin Luther, and he believed uh, that, that we could glorify God not just if we were only a priest, right? Not only if we were a pastor, that we could actually glorify God in our every day. He said this, he said that God himself will milk the cows through him whose vocation it is. That God cares about the milk of the cows. God cares about the mundane details of our lives, about our job, about our work, about our day-to-day, whatever it is in our homes, in our offices, at our business, whatever it is, God cares about those details, and God wants us to glorify Him in that. God even wants to glorify Him at work. At work. And we see this throughout the Bible. Um, we, we read um, from the book of Genesis, and, and maybe you've heard the story before about the first humans being placed in the, in the Garden of Eden where what God want done was done, and it was perfect, and, and everything was good, and God said, you can do anything you want, just don't eat of this fruit, right? Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, they have a conversation um, with the snake, and, and they eat it. And now God is living these punishments, and, and God looks at the snake and says, because you've done this, you'll crawl on your belly from now on, right? And, and he looks at the woman and says, now, you know, because of this, you'll have painful childbirth. And he looks at the man, and then he has that, that punishment, right, that we read about, this toil and working and, and this hard work in it. And, and it, and it's tough, and it's difficult. That we actually read that vocation was introduced as a response to the first sin and its punishment. Vocation was actually introduced as a, as a response to its first sin and its punishment. Now, Pastor Brandon had actually pointed out to me that there was work before this time. Uh, there was believed to be work before this time, but now it is difficult. Now it's the sweat of your brow kind of work. Now you have to toil. Now the, the, the earth will put forth thorns and thistles. Now it'll be difficult kinds of stuff. What we read in Genesis is called an etiology. An etiology simply explains why things are the way they are. And we get the sense that these, this story was told around a campfire, right? Long ago, before it was ever written down, that these stories were told around campfires. And they were told to young people who were asking all sorts of questions, right? Why does a snake crawl around on its belly? Why do women have to, have, you know, give childbirth? And, and why is it so hard to plant? Why is it so hard to do these things that we need to survive? And so this vocation was introduced, this, this hard, difficult kind of work was introduced, and we read those words, right, that by the sweat of your face you shall, um, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This hard, difficult kind of work. And even though this difficult stuff was originally a punishment, work was meant to be a great source of joy, 
Work was meant to be a source of joy, and, and those of us know that work can be a joy, that completing something and doing something worth meaning is a great benefit of our life, and it can give us purpose, it can give us passion, it can give us all these really good things. Isaiah the prophet um, wrote during the time of the exile, and, and they wrote in a time whenever they had gone to the promised land, they had experienced the, the land that God had promised them, and then they were taken into exile. And when they were taken into exile, the people who had, the Babylonians who had taken them over were now living in the homes that they once lived in. They were harvesting the crops that they planted. And Isaiah gave a prophecy in that time. He, he gave a proclamation about what God would do. And he said this, that the people of God, they shall not build and another inhabit. In the future, they will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. That Isaiah gave a prophecy about the future that God has for God's people, what, what God wants for God's people, and, and the pinnacle of that, the best part of that, is that they will have work that they enjoy, work that gives them purpose and meaning. That this is what Isaiah gives for his people. This is what the Bible wants for God's people. And even when it came to the time of Jesus, uh, Jesus did ministry with a group of, of 12 men. And, and these 12 men, he encouraged to leave everything, right? The, there were fishermen, um, and, and he went to their boats as they were cleaning their nets, and he said, you know, leave everything and follow me. And they dropped the nets, and they went and they followed Jesus. Uh, Jesus encountered Matthew, a tax collector, and, and he said, you know, come and follow me. And Matthew left his booth that he was sitting behind as he was collecting taxes, and he went and he followed Jesus. They left their jobs. They left everything they had to go and follow Jesus. That was 12 people. We get the sense that everyone else, Jesus encouraged them, to stay within their realms of influence. And Jesus called 12 people to leave everything and follow him. And everyone else, he said, stay where you are, do the good work, be my followers, but be in your realm of influence. Read about it in the Gospel of Mark, um, chapter 5. We read that Jesus goes to the Decapolis, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, um, the bad side, the Greek side, the, the, the no good side. You know, the, the wrong side of town. Jesus goes to this other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he, and he winds up in a, in a cemetery. And there among the tombs is a man who's possessed by demons. And then he calls out to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus casts the demon out. Maybe you've heard this story. He casts the demon out into a herd of pigs. And the pigs run down the hillside into the sea, and they're drowned in the sea. This great miracle happens. This man who has been cast out of the town, out of society, has now been healed of his ailment. This great miracle happens. And Jesus says, that's, that's why we're here. And he turns around, and he starts to get back on the boat. But then something happens. That as they were getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. But Jesus refused. Jesus refused. And said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. This man wanted to be like the 12, wanted to leave everything and go and follow Jesus. And Jesus refused and said, stay within your realm of influence. You have people who listen to you. You have an experience that others will know and can relate to. Stay where you are and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And here's the thing, it worked. It worked. Just, just one chapter later, we read from Mark chapter 5, just one chapter later, Jesus and the disciples go to the same place, the Gennesaret, and when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when they moored the boat, when they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him. They knew who Jesus was. This was before pictures, right? So like this man who was once possessed by demons went out and said, this guy healed me, and they said, what did he look like? He said, you know, like a nose and a face and the hair and the thing and all this stuff, and then whenever they got out of the boat, they said, that's the guy, 
This is who he was. It, it works. Jesus encouraged him to stay within his realm of influence, and it works. And I believe for, for most of us, for the majority of us, God wants us to be his witnesses where we are. Where we are to not leave the thing we're doing, to not, to not forsake what we've built, but to stay where we are and be this kind of influence at our work. At our work. To see what God is doing really at our work. Now, I know this can be a little difficult and be a little hard because we read about vocations in the Bible and we really clearly see how God can be at work there, Right? You know, we see things like a, like a shepherd. You know, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about a shepherd leaving the 99 and going to search for the one. Is the same way that God, you know, searches for all of those who are lost. And we see, you know, the job of a shepherd, the work of a shepherd, we say clearly God is at that work. You know, clearly God is doing something there. You know, we struggle to see how God is here. You know, like how, how, does, how is God at my work when I'm sitting behind a computer all day and, and sending emails and making phone calls and this kind of, you know, morning kind of work? You know, a shepherd, like the thing they have to worry about is like, you know, a lion or a wolf or something coming in and attacking them. You know, the thing I have to fear is like, you know, carpal tunnel or something. You know, like it's just not the same. It's difficult to see how God is at work here. You know, we look at vocations of the Bible like, like a farmer and we say clearly God is at work in that. You know, Jesus talks about the harvest. Jesus even tells a parable of a sower who sows seeds and, and casts seed out, and some lands on fertile ground, some lands on the path, and this is the way in which we receive the, the word of God, and we see how God is at that work. You know, we really struggle to see how, how God is at work when we are plunging a toilet. You know, that is, that is, that's hard. That's hard to do, but here's the thing. I believe that God is at that work. God is even at this work, and, and we can join God in that. We can give glory to God in that. Now, here's the thing. I, I preached this on, on Friday night, um, the community I lead called One Church, and I preached on Friday night, and, uh, and Melissa and our family was there. We had one car, and so Melissa went home. I was going to ride home with Jared, our, our youth director, and, and uh, when I got done cleaning up uh, after church on Friday night, um, I picked up my phone, and I saw a series of text messages. It looks like this. Melissa was going to go grab us some dinner from Taco Bell, so she, she did that. Elijah needed some french fries, so she did that, and she said, oh, and you're going to have to plunge a toilet to the glory of God when you get home. And I did. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it's gross work, you know, and, and I'd never, so like before we did the sermon series, like I'd love to tell you that like every time I plunged the toilet, I gave thanks to God, you know, while I was doing it, but I didn't. And then I, and then I preached this sermon and then sure enough, God is in humor and he says, by the way, here it comes. And so I, you know, I thank God and, and, it, and it was gross work and it made that noise, you know, that, you know, and, and, and did that and, and, you know, and I'm like, thank you, God, you know, and, and I'm doing it. And then I and it got it unclogged, and then, um, you know, I pulled it out, and we have that little thing that the, the plunger goes in and fits in, so you don't have to see the gross, disgusting plunger. And so I put it down in there, but the thing was, the plunger had turned, like, inside out. That ever happened to you? You know, so now it's all wet, and it's been in the toilet, you know, and you got to, like, put that whole thing, you know, back in. Let the, and I gave glory to God in it, you know? Um, and, and here's the thing. We're going to be tested in this. We're going to be tested in how to give glory to God through our work. And I believe it's, it's a good thing. And, and, and here's the good news about that. Tish Harrison Warren uh, writes in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, uh, again, the book about which we're basing the sermon series on, and she says this. She says, our task is not to somehow inject God into our work, but to join God in the work he is already doing in and through our vocational lives, to believe that God cares so much about the minute details of our life, even the gross stuff. God cares so much that he is willing to work in that, that he's willing to be a part of that. 
That not, that not that we're like, you know, bringing God along and, and God had never heard about this thing before we started doing it, but that God is willing to be there with us. I believe that, that inviting God into our mess is the first step of living a truly sanctified life. Inviting God into the mess, whether it's at our work. You know, we have this part that we don't want God to see. You know, whenever you have family come over, you have like the room or the closet or whatever like that, 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 that you know, guests are not allowed to see. Right? And I think we have that part of our life that we don't want God to witness. You know, and the irony is, of course, that God is all-seeing. But you know, we have this mess, whether it's at work, uh, how we deal with our employees, how we have conversations, our emails, or maybe it's at our home and some part of our lives. There is a mess that we don't want God to see. And inviting God into that, saying, God, I believe you care so much that you're willing to be a part of this, is the first step of living a truly sanctified life. Alan Hirsch, who's a, a Christian writer, he was here uh, actually a, a few months ago in, in, in this church uh, giving a speech to Methodist leaders um, in the state. And he said this about the sanctified life about discipleship. He said that discipleship is what Jesus would do if he were you. Discipleship is what Jesus would do if he were you. That if Jesus drove your car, what would he do? And Jesus had your family, what would he say to them? If Jesus had your job, how would he do it? That's the entire point of our life is to living as if Christ lived in us because he does. Because we're Christians, the little Christ. Meant to represent Christ to this world. Put it in a different way, we might think of this question. Would our emails look differently if we believed Jesus were writing them? Would our emails look differently if we believe Jesus were writing them? Because some of us have written some really scathing emails, right? Like we, 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 you know, we've kind of gone off the rocker. We've gotten really mad, and you know, we've written the really wordy email, and we just, you know, and then, then sent it, and then said, "Yeah, I told them." You know, like we've we've done some things, and we've been vindictive, and we've done those things, and we say, "Well, yeah, but Jesus would have sent a much nicer email." You know, Jesus is full of love, and and he would encourage people in their emails, and they would somehow feel like you know they were they were cared for and, and respected in their emails. And even in the email that Jesus sent, he would bring life to them and he would do all these things through an email. And the question is, why is it any different from what we're doing? Because we're the Christians. We're the little Christs in the world. And I believe that God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to truly change the world to actually make this world the way God intended it in the first place. God has given us that power. And I believe, I believe with everything I am, that God doesn't give us a, that power just to do it in the big stuff, just to do it right in front of everybody whenever we have the big sale, when we have the big victory, whenever everything is great and glorious in those moments. I believe God has given us the power to change the world through the minute, ordinary details of our lives. Through our phone calls, through our conversations, through our texts, and even through our emails. I believe God has given us this power to do this very thing. And, and the goal of all of this, I, I believe if this was done perfectly, it, it might look a little bit like this. This is a, uh, a testimony from Brother Lawrence. He, he was a, a monk in the 1600s in Paris, and, and he wrote about his experience of God, a very intimate relationship with the Lord, and, and he wrote about it in this way. He said, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer and in the noise and clatter of my kitchen. 
I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. Brother Lawrence said that it doesn't matter for me if I'm in prayer or if I'm doing the dishes, if I'm at work doing the minute details of my life, or if I'm at the sacrament actually receiving the body and the blood of Christ, receiving the presence of Jesus in physical form, that it doesn't matter for me. I am experiencing Christ in those moments. What if we believed? What if we believed that when we left here, we were encountering God in our everyday? What if we believed that as we were sending emails, as we were making phone calls, as we were going to the meeting, as we were doing all these things, that we were bringing Christ there, that we were meeting God at work, that we were being the presence of salvation to the world in those moments, I believe that that would change the world. And the presence of Christ will look different for different people. The presence of Christ at our work might be telling someone about what Jesus has done for us. It might be about inviting them to church. It might also just be providing hope to somebody who has none. But I believe we can be that presence in the world and even at our work. So I'm going to encourage us to do a couple of things um, this week and really throughout the rest of our lives. Uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to thank God for the most mundane part of your work. Thank God for, for the detail that you care nothing for, the, the thing that drags you down. I would encourage you to thank God for it. Thank you, God, for these emails. Thank you, God, for this phone call, for this meeting. Thank you, God, for this detail, this part of my work. And then I would ask you to honor God through it. To do it as if Jesus were doing it through you because he is. He is. And that has the power to change the world. Uh, when Melissa and I were, were first married, um, uh, almost uh, 10 years ago now, uh, when we were first married, I was still in college, so was Melissa. We were both seniors at Oklahoma City University, and so um, in order to both um, go to school and work, uh, I got a job uh, at Gordman's Clothing Store at 59th and May uh, down in Oklahoma City. Um, this was a new experience for me. I had never worked retail before and, and have incredible exper- uh, appreciation and respect for people who have worked food service or who currently work food service and, and in retail. It was, it was hard work. Um, and it was really kind of thankless work and, and difficult at times. And, you know, I, I look back on this job that I had at Gordman's, and to be honest, I look back um, on this job with, with regret. With regret. Not because I worked there. I'm, I'm very thankful that I did. Uh, I'm very thankful that I had that experience. I'm very thankful that I did those things. But I look back on my experience at, at Gorman's, and, and I have regret for the fact that I was a different version of myself when I was there. The, the version of myself that was there was the, the appropriate level of Christian. Maybe you, you know what that is. Like, like, you know, they knew I went to church, but they knew I wasn't going to talk to them about Jesus. You know, they, they knew that I believed in Jesus, but they knew that, you know, they could give me these, you know, gory details about their weekend and about the parties and all these things, and I would never encourage them to live differently. I would, I would never encourage them to, to come to church with me. I would, you know, be the appropriate and the acceptable level of Christian. 
And as I look back on this work at Gorbins, I, I remember faces and names. I remember Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie was 19 or 20. He worked in the stock room with me, and, and Ronnie was really kind of aimless and trying to figure life out. And, and I knew this because every Monday he would tell me about his weekend and he would tell me about the friends that he had made and all these places that he had been. And, and every weekend seemed to get worse and worse about um, the, the nights and, and the things that they got into and the experiences that they had. I remember Pam. Pam was an elderly woman. Um, she was working after retirement because... Um, her, her Social Security and her retirement couldn't cover the medical bills that she had incurred. And so now she was having to work after her retirement. And I think back and remember Margaret. Margaret was one of the most tenured um, people at Gorman's, and, and she was a, a really amazing woman. She um, worked and had worked in one department the entire time, and, and she was the person who really cared for everyone else. She was the mom of the group. And she would check in on everybody and see how their family was doing and ask about their spouses. And when she went to lunch, uh, she would you know, take orders and money from other people so that uh, nobody else had to waste their 30-minute lunch on, on running an errand to go and get lunch and bring it back, that she was the person who really cared for everybody. And I look back on these people. I look back on these faces, on these names, these situations, and I look back and realize those people who were in need of Jesus Christ. Who were in need of hope. Of a community of people who loved and supported them for no other reason than because they were created by God. And I look back on this job, this work, with regret. And my hope, my prayer is that we would get to the end. Maybe to retirement, maybe to the end of our life. And that we would look back on our work. On our day to day, on that thing we did, wherever it was, whether it was in the home, in the office. That we would look back on our work and that we would not look back with regret. About the version of ourselves that we brought there. But that we would look back. And we would know that Christ was calling us to join him there. And that we said, yes, here am I. Send me. Let us pray. God, we thank you for calling us. Even though many times we have failed, even though many times, Lord, we have done the wrong thing, still you call out to us again and again. You redeem us. You make us new by the power of your Holy Spirit, and you call us into it once more. God, we pray that we would hear your call, that we would see where you are already at work, where you are already doing something. And God, we pray that we would join you there. We pray that we would see you at work in the lives of the people who work next to us. We would see you at work in, in our homes. We would see you there and we would join you in it, God, that we would take up the banner with you. And God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us strength, courage, holy boldness. And God, we pray most of all that we would glorify you, 
not just in the grand, big moments of our life, but in our everyday, mundane details, that we would thank you for it and we would honor you through it. Lord, we ask this. We pray that you would do it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who came and taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.